All spiritual growth is purely to consciously realize that we are all one and live every day in that positive mindset. The purpose of our lives is to complete an esoteric spiritual awakening and transformation where we are all consciously aware that we are one. The more we know about our higher selves intertwined with the universe and God as the essence of creation, the more meaningful it is to feel whole because we are one in the same. Everyone has energy within and the power transforms that energy into different vibrations and dimensions. Join Charlie May in the connection to self, your spirit guides and spirit angels. Ascend to higher frequencies, vibrations and other dimensions with the Spirit Guider. Welcome to the Spirit Guider. I'm your host, Charlie May. I'm here with Yale. Yale, I'm back. Hey. <laughs> Why can't I get enough of you? I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. Luckily, you haven't. <laughs> I always just have all these questions that that are never ending, and you always have my answers. And we were talking about just a second ago about these paradoxes that really intrigue us. Can you give us some information on that? Yeah, we were talking a little bit after we met last time. And I was telling you, like, my view on kind of like the universe as a whole and how all, th- all this stuff works, but more how that ties into our personal belief systems. And then you were like, hey, let's talk about this. And so I thought that would be a great idea because as someone who's, you know, I've worked with people for a long time and, like, kind of try to guide people spiritually. But also for me as an individual, that's been an important part of my life. But I've found that there's a lot of ways to do that. And there's a really, uh, you know, sometimes we can get turned into a wrong end trying to see with all the information out there. So what unites all those universal truths together? I think that's, a, that's an interesting topic to explore. And then it ends up being either you get stuck, you continue, or you keep asking questions that you never get the answers for. <laughs> yeah. How do, would you explain to someone what to do and where to look for all these answers? So I think to talk about that, we kind of have to go back to the beginning. What makes someone wake up, right? What makes someone have an awakening experience? And that's what we kind of call it these days. And it's because we start seeking things outside of our daily life and outside of kind of like, I don't know, the rat race. There's no better way to call it. So we start becoming a seeker. I like that term, but that term also means we're a little bit exhausted sometimes too. Seeker can mean you're excited and having an adventure. It can also mean you're exhausted and it means you're going to be both at different times. So then the real question, especially as someone who gives readings and helps you know guide others, and as someone who's who's also been on a, a journey myself, is how do how do you as a seeker approach your spiritual path and your life path, and you know what does that mean on a level of like trying to understand it all, the ideology of it all. And you and I talked about ideology and the things that get called up in society that can limit your spiritual growth. Because I sometimes, I try not to dip down into it, but then you have to find what makes you different from others, but find others to where you are the same and believe in the same things to help that spiritual growth. Yeah, I think, and there's also value in finding people that you, you differ in beliefs from, but that, so you can build off each other too. And I, I think that's important too, because what I found is that there's there's many different ways to do something you know spiritually to to access what's divine, I guess is the best word to describe it. And there's not really a wrong, well, there are wrong ways to do it. <laughs> okay. What are the wrong ways? The wrong ways are like Nazi esoteric. Oh yeah. That's, not you know, good. there's wrong ways. There's obviously yeah. wrong ways or like cults and things like that. You know, there's wrong ways, but there's, a, as far as the things that we as like normal sane people and like, you know, non um, malicious people would consider there's, there's a lot of valid ways. There's a lot of valid ways through religion. There's a lot of valid ways through spiritual approaches and even traditional approaches that belong to like traditional cultures. And I think 
think the problem we face, like with the new age world we live in, is that there's a lot of cultural consumption, but that we can't help being inspired by what's out there. And like now that we're all sharing information too. So it's kind of like trying to explore all that being reverent that we don't necessarily own those things. But what we can do is we can go explore what's out there and experience and see that there's some universal truths like that are shared between major religions, between traditional, you know, um, cultural systems and things like that. And I, I think that's interesting to explore. As an individual, I found that there is a, what I like to call like a non-cosmological way to look at the spiritual universe. And that means that there are these systems you can use to access and try to describe what's going on, but they're the interface for describing it, for trying to understand it in our mind. I think our mind's this tool where it's really sophisticated, but it does need something to grasp onto. So whether you're looking at it through the lens of Christianity, or you're looking at it through the lens of New Age thought, or through a traditional system, you know, from a traditional culture, or through Kabbalah, or whatever else, it's just one interface you can use. If you trained and studied another one, you would find eventually it leads you to the same kind of focal points and you know, there's different, maybe different insights and different things you can get along the way, but they do share some universal truths. And what I like to call non-cosmological are like the fact that there's something deeper in the mystery that we're unwrapping. So whatever system we're using is to unwrap that mystery. It's a method for unwrapping it, but the mystery itself, it remains intact. So you can unwrap it as a Christian, you can unwrap it as, you know, someone th using a traditional system or using like um, ceremony or something like that. Or you can unwrap it as somebody, um, who is maybe doing meditation or, you know, training in, in some certain technique like yoga. But ultimately someone else is, if you, if you talk to someone from a different, using a different system or different application, you can talk about a lot of the same things and agree on them, which is what's really interesting. Yeah, that is true. And the more that I dip in, the more questions I have. Have you ever thought this? Okay, I'm going to get a little deep. Okay. We see the universe as this whole, and we're a part of this universe. But have you ever thought that there's something beyond the universe? Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. something else out there that maybe is even beyond the universe that we know of. So I've always thought of the universe as this. It's kind of like we're living it, we're experiencing it, and it's happening. But I've always thought about it as something that's unmanifest, but that we're experiencing at the same time. The reason why I think that is because the universe is really whatever you think it is. And I believe this to be 100% true just based on personal experience, but I encourage people to try this exercise out. If you believe the universe to be a place where things are just chaotic and reckless and happen randomly, you're going to find that your universe looks a lot like that pretty soon, okay? And then if you believe the universe to be overwhelmingly good or positive and you implement that belief system, you're going to find that to be true. If you believe it to be scientific, you're going to be focused on all the mechanics and things you can find. If you believe it to be ruled by an overarching entity like God or, you know, some higher consciousness, you'll find evidence why that's true. So I've always found the universe to be something that's unmanifest. It's kind of like the best way I could describe it is like how, how something observed takes on meaning. But scientifically, yeah. you can see the universe. You can, but I think there's two things happening. At least this is what I would put out there. There's two things happening. One hand, there's a scientific universe, right? It has laws and has rules. And, and we can see it. We can see it. We can interact with it. But I also think our understanding of that is, is limited. We don't really understand the nature of the universe scientifically. True. We understand we're seeing and observing something, but we also understand scientifically that what we're seeing and observed is subjective too, to some extent. But that being said, many of us agree we're observing a universe and we're in it and we're experiencing it. On the other side... If we're talking about what's spiritually happening in the universe, that ties into what's scientifically happening in some way, especially like if you, I think if you look on a quantum level and yeah. things like that, it starts to, to intertwine a little bit. 
But what's spiritually happening is, is a personal connection with that universe, and that's not measurable. So there's always some subjective part of the experience. That's why I say some part of the universe is always unmanifest because your personal connection with it is always developing in some way. So it can't really be totally fully formed and expressed because as you grow and evolve of a, as a person, even if a thousand other people around you are living in one type of universe that functions one way, the person who wakes up in society and says, no, this is the way, is going to have their own experiences and they can be validated. But then I could say to you, well, then we're creating our own universe personally. Well, and I think I think an interesting way to look at it is we're all living in many universes. We're all reconciling them with each other all the time, meaning we're all observing this, you know, this universe we exist in, but we all have our own vision of it. We happen to share some commonalities with people because we live in a similar society and in a world with similarities. The more individualized that look gets, the, the harder it is to reconcile. The person who totally rejects society and leaves, they live in a slightly different universe than the one we live in. And, it, and they, have, they have different things that, that make sense to them and different things that stand out to them. So the closer we are together, the more commonalities, the more we share that vision in some ways. You know, if we grew up in the same town, went to the same school, worked the same jobs, came from the same socioeconomic status. But also, that's not necessarily a guarantee we agree on everything. Yeah, one true. person could go one way, one person could go the other way. But then it takes you back to that oneness. What you just said then creates us different. Well, it, I don't think it necessarily separates because oneness is not about everything being the same. I think oneness is about a source that all things are emanating from, which means I'm not the same as a table or a plant or a, a, a dog or See, I would another... say you are because we're energy in this whole substance together. Right. Well, but I'm saying we're, we ver we're, there's variety in that. We're yeah. different. So variety is naturally present. It doesn't mean we don't have a shared connection, but there's definitely variety present between people, between things on earth. There's variety present between, you know, things on a, on a deep down elemental level too. So I think oneness and differentiation aren't necessarily battling each other in this scenario. You know, a Buddhist would say you're not even here. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you, you talk to someone who here. practices Vedanta too, you know, Advaita Vedanta, you, they tell you, yeah, I mean, the universe doesn't, you know, respectively, it doesn't necessarily exist unless you're there to observe it. You know, when you, when you fall asleep, do you even know if it's really existing? So I think there's a lot of thought out there like that. But I think as an individual, I feel like we need something to grasp on to as well. I think that the average everyday person is not going to be content with the fact that we don't even exist mm -hmm. because yeah. that doesn't imply for the everyday person that there's purpose to that. Whereas someone who's, on a, who's developing through those specific techniques that have been handed down knows how to knows how to find not just the emptiness, but the fullness in that. So for the everyday person, I think it's important to understand that part of the universe is unmanifest, meaning it's subjective and it's changeable and it's shapeable to your reality. Now, you're still limited what, what you can do with that reality because you share this, this universe and you share on a deep subconscious level many elements and parts of it. I often wonder if we'll ever know what's real and what's not. I think that we're going to find out that there's no objective answer to that. Ever. I don't think ever. I, I, would, I, would, be I would be ultimately shocked to figure out that there was some definite answer to those kinds of questions. It, it would totally, it would totally shock me because I'm not expecting that to ever be the case. Ever. I don't there think there is ever. no ending. Yeah, there is no ending answer. I don't think there will be no. Because let's look at science for example. Science is more advanced than you know thousand than the last hundreds and thousands of years. Science is advanced from here we discovered fire to now we're you know treating really complicated diseases and and uh, finding out how the mechanics of things work, right? But 
what I found is that as science develops, not only does it answer questions, finds new questions, Always. and then sometimes like te- the science of technology creates new problems. Mm-hmm. So now the world, the example, I think the best example is the world we live in. We have all this technology. We have all these problems that are exclusive to a technological world. So I think that that's true for anything. It mirrors on any level. It's like it, there's always going to be some piece we're unpacking and trying to to figure out. There's there's no ending to that kind of stuff. I don't see how there could be because it's a process. It's not an equation. It's a process. Has the universe always been conscious? Was there a beginning? I have an interesting, I guess, answer to that question. I'd say one hand, we as human beings, we are me-centered by nature. So we think of the universe, we think of our lives, I think just directly, like when we think of it in a spiritual context. But we're part of a story that existed long before we got here. And if we don't make it all this time, it'll exist arguably long long after we get here. But so, was there a beginning? Well, I think the beginning, that's, that's, that's really, I mean... How do you have something from nothing? Yeah. And, and that's why it kind of leads us back to there's something unmanifest about the universe. There has to be something unmanifest about it because whether it came from nothing, whether it came from another dimension of time, there's got to be something unmanifest about it. I mean, there's always some rich potential deep within it, kind of like the tree inside the seed. I think the ultimate goal of awakening is to become conscious of how you connect to all these things. We're going to go back to the idea of oneness and interconnectedness, maybe on a more personal level. When you're awakening, it seems like it's personal excitement that drives people to that a lot of the time, and for good reason, because we discover there's more to what we knew. But we're also eventually, when we go through the healing and the rewiring, we're discovering that we're connected to things we had no idea we were connected to before. We're discovering our, our conscious role and our relationships and the world we live in. I think I'm a, on a, in the best expression of that. Can someone go through an awakening and not feel a oneness? I think it's possible. Yeah. I mean, there are people who develop spiritual abilities. I don't know that don't believe it or that don't become decent people either. And because you can, you can understand how to draw, let's say power from the universe, but maybe not do it for the right reason. It's been done before. Yeah. I just didn't know if somebody can become spiritually awakened, but not follow down the path of seeing a oneness within everyone in the universe. Oh yeah. It's called a left-hand path and a right-hand path. And the right-hand path, it's about surrender. You know, the classic esoteric schools of thought, right? right-hand path is about surrendering into oneness. A left-hand path is about breaking away and individuating. And they're not necessarily good and evil paths, mind you. But a left-hand path can have difficulties for someone who is drawn to power and knowledge because they can get carried away with those things. The right-hand path can have difficulties for people who have trouble expressing their own individuation because they can just try to relax into things and not necessarily take on their individual role that, you know, that they're supposed to represent in their lifetime, or they may underrepresent their needs or, you know, rely too much on grace to provide them with something. So there's, there's positives and negatives to each side. But I think for the most part, people go with what they feel like their energy is aligning to. And there's also a path down the middle. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit. There are two ways to do it. You, you wake up to yourself, you acknowledge that you have energy, you have potential, and you start to exercise those things. And then you also, to balance that, you work on your fixed ideas and fixed beliefs and you work on your connection to all things so that you can create a balance between collecting power, you know, is essentially what individuating is, collecting power and substance, consciousness that can benefit you as an individual, but also balancing that with your connection to what's going on out there with other people in the universe. And I think, at least in my perspective, we share a world. So if we all set out to 
only take care of ourselves, it can put things out of order, I think. There are people who just focus on themselves and they're clear about it, and I don't see it having a negative effect because they naturally do factor in other people in that process, but it takes a, someone who's not who's not doing it for the wrong reasons and who isn't mixed up. What's wrong with being on an individual path but helping others who are good and not helping others who are bad? You know, every, I've met a lot of people, and their idea of what's good and bad is different. I've met people who'd help anybody, literally anybody. I've also met people who try to help anybody and who just seem to always draw in the wrong types of people. And they're always like getting burned as they try to help people. And they're just great people. So I think to some extent, you have to look at what patterns exist in your life and you have to see, you know, what's what's the best expression of your helping and compassion? For the person that's always trying to help everybody but seems to be drawing in the narcissist and the energy vampires, they've obviously got to guard their energy. They're maybe a little yeah. more sensitive. For the person who is out there saying, I'll help only people who help themselves, nothing wrong with that. But you know, they may they may be asked to open their mind from time to time too. Sometimes well-intentioned people will destroy the earth. Meaning people who think they know it's better for other people, they can have good intentions and do something actually harmful. Like, for example, you don't understand somebody, but you try to help them. It's not the kind of help they need or want. That's harmful. So you had good intentions. And you're trying to inspire good. Or maybe you are trying to create a policy to help, you know, someone in your community or in government, but you don't understand the actual needs of those people. You know, that's not actually a good scenario because you're not, you're not in tune with things. So people are in tune with things and they want to put good energy into them. That's great. You know, as someone who works with people on an individual level, I'll use an example like when I try to offer good support for people and good guidance for people, I try to keep in mind what's accessible for them and like what's actually helpful for them. Not what I think they want, mm -hmm. but what I think they're going to most benefit from. And so if you're out there and you want to inspire good in the world, I think you have to ask, what am I capable of? What are my gifts and talents? What could I develop within myself to apply that? And then also what's actually desirable and needed? Because if you think it's desirable and needed, but other people don't, you know, you're off on your ego trip. <laughs> a superhero ending to the universe. You do? Yeah. If not, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of us doing all this if there's not a an ending that is perfect? So I think outside of the specific things that the world is like dealing with, you know, and, and looking more generally, some of the things we're tackling as human beings, we've been tackling for a long time, like how to treat each other and how to organize ourselves so that we're not, you know, someone's not being disadvantaged by that, you know, how to provide, you know, universally the things we all want, but somehow don't know how to give each other, whether that's on a personal level, a collective level, a government level, you know, a community level. So I, I think ideally we all want that superhero ending but there are some people you know out in this world that are in it for themselves they're like i'm out to get that superhero ending for me and i think you know if we're all out to get that ending for each other then what we really ask is what are we doing in the meantime to make that happen i think that's you know i don't think there's anything wrong with wanting it but i also think wanting it is then where you're talking about inspiring goodness and trying to provide to the world it's like then how are we going to work together to get it and i think that's the human the human challenge we're faced that we've been working on for a long time because as empires have risen and fall and fell that that how are we doing this for each other and and I think a big part about at least our human role in the universe, because like I said, the universe will exist before yeah. us and after us, but our True. human role is in trying to understand what's our connection to all of this. Obviously, what we're here for, like I said, the universe has an unmanifest and subjective quality. But if you're tuned into wanting what's good for everybody and that the, the superhero ending, you really mean the, for the human part of it, right? Because no, anything for all of it, because because then I can take it back to you and say, what's the purpose of even spiritually being awake? So when you describe the universe, a superhero ending for the universe, and and take people out of that, what does it look like without living people? What's the superhero ending in that scenario? 
Because I think oh, I guess I guess there is. If you take us out, the universe has no spiritual problem. No, you're right about that. It is. It's human. It's human. Yeah. It is. And so that's why when I when we talk, I always try to take things to the human level. Because if you take us out of here, oh, it's perfect. What's going on? You know, it's perfect. A planet's destroyed. A planet's created. Time shifts. Things squish and squirm and go through black. What? But no one. No one. No one cares, right? There's no one there to so, care. So basically, it's humans are ruining everything. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of getting that. If you take humans out, I see a perfect universe. And then we also have a universe where, where the, that kind of exploration that we're doing is not happening. So that's the real question. Is our exploration we're doing on a human level part of this? Because we, uh, you know, we or another developed species are here with a unique capacity to be conscious that other animals and, and things in nature are doing in a different way. Like, for example, like a really intelligent species like dolphins or like, what is it, squids or something like that. They're doing it a different way. Who knows? Maybe better than us. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Or not doing it at all. Like, you know, is a rock doing it? I don't know. I'm, you know, is, is a fox doing it? I don't know. But we're doing it in a way that involves how we relate to each other. And then ultimately it has a relationship with the earth we live on and has a relationship the earth with its own ecosystem and the solar system. You know, you can arguably say that if we don't do this properly, we, we could throw things out of balance or bring them into balance. Some of the things we've done, scientists agree we can't undo. We can't undo pollution. We can't undo. What is the purpose of spiritually awakening then? Well, I think it goes back to you're connected to this organism. And so, you know, maybe if you took us out, well, you took all conscious beings out and, you know, there's no one to observe it all and there's no problem, right? Because things hunting each other out in the wild don't have a problem with it that we know of. Yeah. But but we have a problem sometimes just the way someone looks at us on the street. Exactly. And so then, then we've got to ask, like, it, it's got to, awakening has to be about understanding our connection to things. Because someone who really is awakening well, they'll understand their relationship with their family, their partners, their community. You know, they're going to start doing things differently than the person. Well, not always differently than the person who didn't. But, you know, that person may just naturally be inclined. They may not have needed an awakening experience. There's plenty of people, I think, that that didn't ever say I had an awakening, but they were naturally inclined to do amazing things, too. So I think even on that level, it's 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 about spirituality it, when we awaken sometimes begins to have an agenda. I need to get powers and gifts and I need to understand the universe. But I found that a great expression of that is when we can relieve some of our personal agenda because I think goodness is its own agenda. Okay, tell me about that. Goodness has its own agenda. I think, I mean, and it goes back to that's the universe I want to live in, right? That's it. Because exactly, I, I've tried it different ways. Like, I, like I've told you before, I was a pessimist for a, a, the initial part of my life because I just was. Like, I, I don't, and when I decided to be an optimist and, and, and that didn't mean ignoring negative things, it meant being, you know, kind of present about negative things and feelings and et cetera, and just trying to integrate all that. Um, I found, well, I want to believe in a positive universe. I was like, I don't have to, nobody's making me, you know, I grew up Jewish and there was, I don't ever remember there being this like, Hey, you have to be positive to be Jewish. I think the opposite. We, <laughs> we don't have to be positive. We, you know, in, in, in Jewish culture, it's not necessarily always just about being positive, about being kind of real and being able to be who you are. You know, it, on the family level and whatever, and we all kind of share share with each other. So I never grew up feeling like, oh, you have to be positive. And religion definitely didn't teach me that. And spirituality, you know, New Ageism definitely it it, it in, implies the value of that. And and for that reason, wasn't the reason I decided to do it. I decided to choose to be positive and to try to approach positive things in the world because it feels better to wake up and think that the universe is a place that cares about your growth. Yes. It just feels better. I mean, that's what I wanted to hear. I don't have to, but why would I not? Because the benefits high. That's what I wanted to hear. The benefits not just high for me though. When I feel like that's true, I can 
I can show up the way I want to show up for other people too. Do you think being spiritually wakened helps the earth vibrate on a higher level? You know, that's what they say. They say, oh, you know, everybody needs to spiritually become oh, awakened so that, that we can okay. vibrate. So the let's earth go back can to the vibrate. idea of non-cosmological spirituality, meaning, and what's cosmology? Cosmology is kind of like the origin story. Like, you know, um, God created the world in seven days. The biblical origin story is a, is a cosmological origin story in, in a way. Um, or if you look at like, let's say like a creation myth from, from one place or the other, it's a cosmological, there's a cosmological component to it. So are we even doing scientific big bang? Again, that might, in a way it might be a, co- a cosmological, you know, look at things. I think, I don't know if all scientists agree on the big bang or not. I think there's some that do yeah. and some that don't, but going back to the idea, does the earth vibrate higher? That problem I have with this is that it's, to me, it's no different than saying you'll go to heaven or hell. Like to me, when I look at the new age world out there, I that's why I'm, I consider myself a non-cosmological person. I can take inspiration from any religious or spiritual story that makes sense and isn't crazy, right? You know, we'll, we'll rule out all the crazy ones, right? But at the same time, I know that they're speaking on a truth that isn't be able, we can't reach it through a system. I've not found any religion to be 100% fact or any spiritual thought to be 100% fact. What I found is they point to similar ideas. So it, a good example I can think of is like, if I want to teach someone about kindness, I can only show them behaviors that exhibit kindness. I can't actually pull kindness out. So I could be kind to them and they could not get it. Or I could be kind to them and the light could turn on, right? So when we talk about, does the earth vibrate faster and higher and then do we ascend to the 12th dimension? I don't even care because <laughs> I, I'll be honest, I've never cared because I consider myself someone who who doesn't who doesn't put my center of thought and existence in a cosmological place. I try to put it in a um, in a place where where I'm really open to what the deeper things going on. And so that's my frustration with new age stuff, which new age with new ageisms it becomes its own dogma. Yeah, there you go. Because then yeah. we run into the danger of people getting really confused of like, oh, well, my, my vibe's not high if I don't if I if I acknowledge that I'm sad and I don't feel well or whatever. It's like, you know, someone could easily be confused by something like that. So that's when they call toxic spirituality. I think, is everyone doing that, being toxic? No, but then well, there's a dogmatic piece to it, just like a religious, you know, situation would. And so is religion bad? No, but dogmatic thought tends to be, especially when it's reinforced by priesthood or reinforced by a, a, a group of people who are as interpreters. So I've never tried to impose myself as an interpreter when I can avoid it, is working as a guide with people. And I've tried to always avoid strict interpretations and go for more for universal truths and things. And, and so does it vibrate? I don't know. I don't care. I like, just like, do we go to heaven or hell? I don't personally care because at the end of the day, I, I'm, it's not going to change how I live. What, what, how I want to live is rooted in different kinds of all the things we've talked about. Yeah. And, and I consider those things to be more rooted in human nature and personal experiences. And, um, I think one of the truest things I ever heard is a friend I made last year said to me, personal experience is the only thing I can go by because it's it's where the, all the truth lives for me. And I, I and he said that to me and I was like, oh, okay, I, I, I really do, I do, I do um, relate to that because anything I ever explored, I thought, well, this just sounds like the other thing eventually. You know, it's different, but it's the same, you know, it's pointing me to the same place. I'd rather live to where they're pointing than, than, than be in the, you know, get caught up in the science. Do you feel like that since spirituality has become popular that it, it is becoming more dogmatic? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think it has the potential to be. Is everybody? No. Are there people doing it properly? Are there people, you know, doing it with capitalism and gain? And, you know, yeah. So, I mean, and are there people doing it kind of, has it become a runaway train that can carry us away? 
Definitely. And, and I think one of the biggest problems is it's a, and we talked about this before, it can be something you wear, like this is the car I drive, this is the job I have. Now people are like, this is what I am skilled in, this is what I'm certified in, this is you know who I am, this is how awakened I am. And the other thing about spirituality that if we're not careful is it involves consumption of other cultures and it involves, it becomes as big of a, a, a beast as the, you know, this is not spirituality itself, but the spiritual movement becomes as big of a beast as does the capitalist system or the, you know, system of finances and governments or whatever, you know, because it's something that absorbs other things. And then people can get caught up in that instead of getting inspired by something, can try to own something or become something. And so that goes back to the idea, is there a personal agenda in your spirituality? Or is there, are you out for personal experiences and, and ultimate truths? I think a lot of people who think they are out there for ultimate truths are out there for, for um, agenda experiences. You know, I, I think I notice a difference when I meet someone who's out there for a personal agenda experience to wear the badge. Give me an example. For example, I've met people who teach yoga and they just use it as a as a way to understand themselves and as a, as a tool and a system to help them, you know, connect to themselves and connect to the world around them, connect to the people that they enjoy to help or whatever, and as a way to try to, like, heal or whatever it is it represents for them, you know, that there can be a lot of reasons people get into and provide amazing experiences for people, amazing, you know, coaching for people, whatever it is. And then I know people who do it because they think that once they learn how to do yoga and are certified in it, that they're going to somehow possess something that they didn't have before. And so that goes, takes us to the idea of the oh. seeker, right? The seeker wakes up and says, oh my God, I'm more than I thought I was. But the irony is the seeker who has the true awakening realizes I never had to go anywhere. That's the crazy part about it. I've always compared it to waking up in your bed, realizing there's a world outside your house, going outside, exploring it, getting tired, then coming home and going, oh my God, this is it. This is the life. So and I, I've always said, hey, if, if I ever won the lottery, for example, I don't play the lottery, but if I ever won it, I'd say I'd probably still get up and do the same thing. I just wouldn't charge anybody any money for it. Yeah. Because I, I would still want to help people. But if, if I, there's a day I could become financially independent and I didn't have to, I just wouldn't. You know, I, would, I would just say, who needs it? What would be an example of an agenda? An agenda would be, uh, I'm bringing all these people together to try to teach them something, but it, ultimately it's because I want an ego trip or I want to make you know a ton of money off of it. Or you know I, I, I don't necessarily have all the answers, but I'm pretending I have all the answers. There you go, guys. That's it right there. Yeah, I think that's the agenda. The agenda is I want to feel powerful, special, or benefit in some way as an individual from sitting down with you or from, you know, having you come to my, you know, commune or from, you know, whatever it might be. And and, and they're not always wanting to gain something physical. It might be, you know, feelings they gain from it or whatever. Feeling like they're better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and then there's plenty of places out there that don't have an agenda. In this city, I can think of several that, that don't have an agenda and just show up for people. And I can think of plenty of practitioners and people, you know, that don't have an agenda. And it's harder to to subsist on a non-agenda thing because we live in a very capitalist world. Exactly. So that's why I've always taken that balance really seriously. Now, how can I have a website that's accessible and, you know, and charge money for something that I feel like it is dirty it up kind of in a way? But how do you do that consciously? So it's always people doing something consciously where you feel like they were trying to regard you. And that's why I said you never have an agenda for your gifts. I try not to. No, you don't. You know, and, and remember we had that conversation, what's an ego? It's not getting rid of it. It's being aware of it. So what I would tell anybody who wants to make sure that they're providing their best self for other people and for themselves is like, you're going to see all the negative things in the world inside you. At least I do. But you have to be aware of where they want to come out. You have to bring the light of your awareness to those things. 
and, and shine that light on them so that you don't let them take over who you are exactly. or let them become the expression of who you are. And that takes time and we're going to mess it up. But we're going to get better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't even get me started on that. Thank you, Yale. Thanks for having me. This is Charlie May with The Spirit Guider. <laughs>